It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports? We do. From our Dixieline Lumber and Home Center studios in San Diego, we welcome you to our Monday bonus podcast. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton in studio and out in left field with his opinions and all his friends, the irreverent John Riley. We welcome you to our Monday podcast brought to you by Dixieline Lumber and Home Center stores, nine locations to serve you in San Diego. If you've got plans to do renovations for fall or even into the winter you need a good teammate that teammate is dixie line lumber john good afternoon it's the end of the baseball season the start of the off season is just around the corner man have we got a lot of things to talk about you are such a pro at this, man. I, I, it's, this is awesome. You you, you kick <laughs> off this show just like you did on the radio back in the day, and it's a pleasure. So I know there's a lot of fans that are looking forward to this. Got a lot of World Series, NFL, Padres, rumors. It's going to be good. Before we start, we have this thing that we have developed. It's all his fault. If you don't like the opinions expressed on this podcast, it's all his fault because he's the one that dragged me into this to try this podcast. But we created something for you to join our team. It's called Fans Forum. John, explain to everybody with us on the live stream who will be listening on the podcast how they can participate right at the end of the show. Yeah, so you can get involved in Fans Forum. you got a question or comment for Hacksaw. Just you know, leave your question or comment in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. And it's great. Usually we get here, we start up the face or the, uh, the StreamYard, you know, podcast session but before we hit the go live button sometimes we got dudes jumping in into fans forum and sg sports talk channel was there right right from the get-go so we expect you guys are going to load it up. So if you got some questions on a Monday for a hacksaw, that's what you got to do. Live chat on Facebook or YouTube. And a reminder, we urge you to subscribe so you will get the alerts every time we put something up on our YouTube channel, which is most every day of the week. You'll know what it flashes on. We invite you to share all this data with all your friends. Tell them about what we're doing on the podcast, what we're doing with the live stream, what we're doing on my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com, which is all written. I invite you to check that out every day of the week. John, let's get started. We got baseball, baseball, and then more baseball to talk about. The Arizona Diamondbacks. Can you believe this, Lee? It's it's phenomenal. (laughs) We're headed to games three, four, and five in the Valley of the Sun. Uh, Phoenix is going crazy because of this baseball team. They are so different. Texas just waits around for home run swings that blow games apart. Arizona just puts the ball in play all over the field and manufactures and creates runs. These teams are so diametrically opposed. It's so opposite ends of the spectrum. It's just absolutely amazing. Tremendous personalities in the Texas dugout, led by the World Series winning manager and Bruce Bochy. A team that collectively is a bunch of young guys enjoying the ride that came together under Tori Lovello. That's what the Diamondbacks are all about. Huge gamble here. I think the biggest question I have as we go to baseball this week, John, who's going to run out of pitching? Because I think that has now become a real problem for everybody gets to the World Series. 
whose bullpen is going to be able to hold up if the starting pitcher doesn't do really well. And there's a bit of a gamble here with Max Scherzer starting for Texas. You know, he's given up seven runs in six innings. Scherzer had spent a significant amount of time on the disabled list with a forearm issue, then came back, got a cut on his thumb. He is going to throw in Game 3 here on Monday night. Whether or not he holds up, how far he goes, and is this the Max Scherzer of old? This becomes a huge issue. So what happens if he can't hold up they got to dive back into the bullpen, and Texas could be in trouble. Texas has just announced that on Tuesday night, journeyman John Gray is coming out of the bullpen. Hmm. He's going to be the starting pitcher for the Rangers in Game 4. I will say this about Arizona. We knew how competitive Zach Gallen was. I'm amazed at what Merrill Kelly has become. He's got a 2.50 ERA in postseason. He's a veteran guy that they found in Japan, has really become an established guy. So we'll we'll just have to wait and see how deep these starters can go because lack of pitching or having to go to the bullpen a lot of times could really swing this whole series. Of course, if Texas swings and hits home runs, maybe it won't be a long series. If Arizona puts the ball in play, as they really have mm-hmm. in games one and two, this I think this is a fun World Series. I don't know that network TV is getting great TV viewership because it doesn't involve marquee teams, doesn't involve the big, big markets, but... This is kind of cool for two really different type teams. Reaction? Reaction. So, um, well, first of all, game one was unbelievably entertaining. Oh, yeah. You know, with the way that Texas tied it up in the ninth and then won it in the 11th on a walk-off. Now, let's walk back to, like, I remember the 1975 World Series. Cincinnati, Boston, that's the Carlton Fisk one and everything else. But back in those days— you had a four-man rotation in the in the playoffs. And in the World Series, if you were fortunate to get your guys organized, you'd have your number one going for game one, four, and seven. I don't remember teams back then in the 70s running out of pitchers and having bullpen games in the championship series and the World Series. I mean, do you? Back in the day, those guys did not throw the wide variety of pitchers that these pitchers throw now. The wear and tear factor on starters. That's why everybody's become a five and six inning guy mm-hmm. just because of velocity and just the kind of stuff that you're throwing. So I think it's a different era. And John, with apologies, pal, you're talking <laughs> about 50 years ago. We're not talking well, even, about three weeks ago on Sunday. Well, even Jack Morris, remember he went 10 innings in game seven when was he was pitching for the Twins back then, right? No, the yeah. ti- was the Tigers or the Twins? Both. Both. Yeah, the Tigers in 84 and the Twins in, what, 91 or something. Um, but you know who I love in this whole thing? Tommy Pham, man. Four for four. I mean, he's crushing it. Dude is, that's the Tommy Pham we thought we got when we when we signed him here in San Diego or traded for him. Well, that's Tommy Pham that showed those flashes in St. Louis, mm-hmm. did it a little bit in Tampa, hardly did it at all in San Diego, and has moved a couple more times before he wound up in Phoenix. So enjoy what you can enjoy in this two-week quadrant with Tommy Pham because (laughs) of one thing his career has shown, what he does now, he probably won't be doing in two weeks from now. And then you got all the other subservient issues to deal with. So we got Arizona, we got Texas. This is this I think it's been a fun playoff series. I think it's it's gonna be a fun world series. So by next Monday when we do our bonus podcast, we may be talking about the the official off-season hot stove league of baseball. 
because the whole world becomes free agents the night the World Series ends. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about topic two on the table. Okay, so yeah, let's talk about the Padres, because there's been so many rumors swirling. Juan Soto, do you think he's actually going to leave? This is the latest that's being reported by national guys, and we all have different contacts. The clubs are calling the Padres, inquiring about Juan Soto. You can't make a trade right now, but once the World Series is open, everything can change. Yankees and Cubs evidently are prepared to make an offer for the Padres slugger. Now, the Padres have not indicated they're going to trade him, but they did indicate last week we never don't listen to people who call us on the phone. Yeah. We take in all the data. The, the Chicago Cubs are looking for a huge bat. They evidently are not going to re-sign Cody Bellinger, despite the fact that he had 306 with 26 home runs. They're looking to replace that bat. They'll have money. They've got a significant amount of free agent checking account space to maybe go get Soto. Soto at Wrigley Field would be a terror. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. They've got they've got a bunch of young pitchers that could be part of the package, but evidently the marquee guy is a young outfielder by the name of Peter Crow Armstrong, and that would have to be part of a Juan Soto Padre Chicago Cubs deal. The Yankees, they're going to make some changes. The Yankees were below the luxury tax threshold, so now they can spend, go above the limit, but it won't kill them. The Yankees have a young outfielder that I was told the Padres like, kid by the name of Jason Dominguez. Hit a bunch of home runs in the month of September, and then they got hurt and wound up having surgery. But the Yankees have got three other young everyday prospects, including a second baseman, Oz Peraza. Uh, They've got a young pitcher, Michael King, who looks like he's ready-made. They've got some other young arms. So the Yankees are evidently in the mix. I don't know where... Seattle might be in the situation. I don't know at this point what San Francisco's got to offer. There is a report that Boston is going to make some major changes. They've got one more key veteran, Alex Verdugo, the ex-Dodger. He could be part of a potential Juan Soto trade. So that's where we are. Plenty of time for the Padres to take phone calls from people to observe what might be out there in terms of a potential deal and then decide whether... And this is the big question, and we'll ask everybody on Fans Forum, feel free to jump into this conversation in the chat box. Do you keep Soto for the start of the season and see if he can propel you and this rest of the team of underachievers back into the pennant race? Do you try to sign him right now to a mega extension? If you're out of the pennant race, do you trade him at the trade deadline and get what you can get from somebody that thinks they can sign him because you got to negotiate with Scott Boris? So <clears throat> that becomes the big piece of the equation. How do the Padres handle this? Do it now? Let him play? See how the season goes? Trade him at the end of the season if you can't re-sign him? So it's a multiple-choice exam. Once upon a time at college when you weren't <laughs> drunk in the classroom, you probably had to take those. Which do you think of those choices is the legitimate one the Padres should consider? Well, if they traded him, it would be like admitting that they made a bad deal to get him in the first place. And they said, we're going to have Juan Soto for 
two full and, and a half seasons, so two and a half seasons. Three pennant races. Three pennant races, exactly. So now we're basically saying, uh, we're not in the, the next pennant race. You got to keep them. Now, uh, the only thing is, is if they have to lower their payroll because of that debt ratio that MLB is requiring. But otherwise, I say, if you can, keep him. You know, let's go back one more time and make a run in 2024 we have the roster to be successful, and you want Soto on it. I mean, the dude was mashing, especially in the second half. I mean, that's a guy we want. But but, but flip it around. Let, let's say you're the Cubs or the Yankees. How much are you willing to give up just for a one-year rental? And everyone knows it's a Boris client. They're not going to sign an extension midway through. They're going to go to free agency. Except the Yankees and Cubs have had a history of spending and spending on some Boris clients. Mm. So I don't think you can rule that out and say that's a negative. Now, if you keep them till next July 31st and you're not in a pennant race because this thing did not rally back, you're surely not going to get the six for one that you traded oh, yeah. to get Soto from Washington. Well, that's the worst case of the three yep. multiple choice options, right? Yep. I mean, for me, best option, keep them. Then a, a very distant number two is trade him in the offseason, and then number three is trade him at the trade deadline. But, God, it, it just it kills me that we finally got this amazing roster, and now they're trying to figure out ways to unload it. All right, here's, a, here's a, an additional question. Okay. Okay. If you trade Soto, if you lose Snell, if you say goodbye to Hader— and then you add into the equation, we don't know how you Darvish will be coming off the elbow surgery. Mm -hmm. And you hope there's no setbacks with Joe Musgrove's capsule, but shoulder capsules can be problematic that might result in surgery, which means gone for a year. And then you got the Michael Walker, Seth Lugo question. Are you going to pay everybody at the back end of the rotation $16 million a year? Because that's the potential. I mean, if all those things, there is... No Soto, the two free agent pitchers are gone. Your top two starting pitchers that are left are not quite physically what they were. And you got these bottom three guys. You're going to have half a roster. What kind of franchise are you going to have next year yeah. if all those dominoes fall? Yeah, it's, it's a potential disaster. I mean, you joke that half the roster would be gone in the offseason. But that's not crazy talk. I mean, that's realistic. But they're, you know, they're talking about one of those pitchers from Japan, another one from Korea that they, maybe they can plug in. That sounds interesting. Um, but, you know, when you've got Hall of Famers at like every position, yeah, that's a big nut to bite off on. But they're bringing in so many people in the park. They're selling it out. They're, they're still an it team. And you've got this window of one more year. So, man... Go for it, Seidler. Put your chips to the center of the table. Keep Soto. Okay. Fans form. You're a Padre fan. You're a baseball fan. Jump on board in the chat room. Give us an opinion. Look at the board is just filling up. And again, we know we got a lot of people that want to join us in fans form. So don't write 10 different things. <laughs> just, just give us one or two from your address so we can look at that and then look at one or two from other guys. But you got an opinion on the Soto thing, the Preller thing, feel free. Let's talk about the other team here that is kind of in the spotlight, but has not been front and center in terms of how they're going to fix this mess. Yeah, the Angels. So here we go. So maybe new candidates in the mix, huh? Yeah, this is strange. You know, I already hired Buck Showalter <laughs> and <did>. his credibility <laughs> has not happened. He has not even been interviewed yet, which I don't understand. <coughs> the Angels 
have yet to interview Craig Council. Well, Council did interview with the Mets last Friday. As we talk on our Monday bonus podcast, he's in Cleveland interviewing there, has not gotten a phone call to come to Anaheim to meet with them. However, there has been conversation within Darren Erstad, former Angel. Oh, interesting. Very popular player. But Darren Erstad, former head coach, University of Nebraska, just retired from that. His name's out there. Tory Hunter, longtime major leaguer, played in a lot of big games, a lot of big markets, played for the Angels, very popular figure, evidently is going to interview. They are going to interview Benji Gill, been on the Angels staff, coached other teams, managed in Mexico. They have talked to Ron Renneke, who had been, was it Milwaukee or Minnesota? I think it was Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Did not do well, but anyhow, they've looked at him have talked to him. But so far, no Showalter and no Craig Council. And I ask, why? So I'm not sure whether this is Moreno only wanting to get involved with guys he knows, former Angel players, or whether this is John Carpino, or is this the general manager? I don't understand why this is at this point, since they had the managerial open op- open the day the season ended, why they've not made a move on the on two guys that have all the credibility on their resume in the world and buck and counsel. Well, it makes you wonder, what's the Angels' strategy? You know, are they going to make another run? Are they going to try to, you know, re- rehabilitate Rendon, make sure Trout is healthy, and maybe, maybe put some money on the table for Otani to keep him? And if that's the strategy, which of those guys— is the manager that you'd want. I mean, I think if I'm Otani, I want to see a showalter in my dugout, someone that's going to kick ass and and take control and lead us. But if they're going to blow up this thing and bring in a lot of kids and unload the veterans, then yeah, maybe a Benji Gill or a Darren Erstad, Torrey Hunter, that's interesting. I want the guy with credibility. Oh, because for sure. Your, your window is closing. You yeah. you have a limited time to sales pitch Otani. You got Rendon, who's got a lot of miles on him and now a lot of injuries. And you got Trout, who's been loyal and fiercely dedicated to Halo Baseball and hasn't gotten to the postseason. We'll see where this goes. And, of course, Otani, if this series ends before the weekend, by next Monday, Otani could be a free agent. <laughs> so, Wait, what's the rule, though, with um, Major League Baseball making announcements of new hires and trades that all have to wait till after the World Series? Yeah, right? they don't want you— to supersede the popularity of the Fall Classic by doing something like that. Right. So, like, for example, the Angel manager would not be announced until after the World Series. Yeah. That rule is an impact for everybody except George Steinbrenner, who did what the hell he thought he wanted to do at whatever time <laughs> he wanted to do it. But George is no longer with us. So, okay. yeah, that that's, that's where we are in baseball. So we go from there on our Monday bonus podcast. And by the way, if you're an Angel fan— you got contacts in Orange County. You're down here, wherever you are up and down the West Coast. You got an opinion about Artie Moreno and how they should handle this search? Join us, Fans Forum. Let's go from that. Let's go to NFL football, John. Yeah, some great games over the weekend. I mean, teams winning that you never expected to win. This is crazy, what we just saw. Uh, could you have ever expected the Denver Broncos would beat Kansas City? The way the Broncos have played under Sean Payton, the problems they've had offensively, the mess they are defensively, the guys that gave up 70 points in a game early in the season, 
And they got Kansas City that walked in there in the mile high, and Denver beat them up. Kansas City, out of character. When was the last time you saw this? Chiefs, five turnovers in the game. Wow. Mahomes, two picks, a fumble. Russell Wilson threw for only 119, but he threw three (laughs) touchdowns. Right. Because Kansas City kept giving him the ball inside their own 30-yard line. Mm -hmm. And he had a short field to work on. I mean, it was absolutely staggering how poorly Kansas City played. And then all of a sudden, Denver just got all amped up. And Denver played really, really strong defense. So the Broncos beat the Chiefs. That one was only bypassed by what happened Cincinnati-San Francisco. Joe Burrow looks like vintage Joe Burrow. He goes 28 for 32, 283. The other side of the line of scrimmage, Brock Purdy looked like a deer in headlights. He threw interceptions on back-to-back passes, and the next series he fumbled the football. Mm -hmm. He looked so out of sorts. Cincinnati put up 403 yards in total offense against San Francisco. And suddenly the Niners, who were 5-0 and out of the gate, they've lost three in a row. And they, they just don't look like the same team. Dallas stampeded the Rams. Dak Prescott, who was really impressive a couple weeks ago when they beat the Chargers, even more impressive against the Rams. 304 yards passing, four touchdowns. C.D. Lamb, the wide receiver, running with his hair on fire. He had 12 catches for 158. At one point, I think the total offense was like 320 to 105. I mean, the Rams Rams just completely fell apart. And to make it worse, Matthew Stafford' thumb injury pulled from the game. Tried to play into the second half with a what was a sprained thumb. Now their fear there might be a fracture. So it's going to get worse for the Rams. And boy, Dallas just pasted them. Minnesota Green Bay, great rivalry. Uh, NFC North. Kirk Cousins goes down with a torn Achilles. Done for the year. And it wasn't that he got hit. He was just moving the pocket to plant to throw. Boom. Cleet catches in the turf. He goes down. This team is already without the star wide receiver, Justin Jefferson. It's the death knell to the Minnesota season. And it's bad for Cousins because Cousins is in the final year of a mega contract who's going to be a big money free agent again. And now he's got a torn Achilles. Chargers, thank goodness the Bears are on the schedule. (laughs) Justin Herbert, 15 for 15 out of the gate throwing the football. Austin Eckler, 119 all-purpose yards. Number one pick, Quentin Johnston, caught five balls. He looked really imposing physically. But I caution Charger fan, you were playing Da Bears, who are not real good, don't have much of a pass rush, don't have much of an offense. Although I thought Tyler Bajent, the Division II quarterback, he hung in there. He did throw two picks, but he also threw the ball down the field. I was I was kind of impressed with his composure under fire. So the Chargers beat Da Bears. Chargers go play the suddenly hot New York Jets on the road on the East Coast. And speaking of the Jets and Giants... They should have televised this game in grainy black and white. (laughs) It was awful. It's one of the worst games you could ever imagine. Do you know, John, there were 24 punts in the Jets-Giants game yesterday. There were only 23 points scored. There were 24 punts. Uh, And the two teams combined 
to go 0 for 15 on third down conversions in the first half. Brutal. And on top of it, fans are sitting out in the rain the whole day. It was just a <laughs> god-awful game. And the Giants lost their quarterback, Tyrod Taylor. So now they're without Daniel Jones. They're without the backup quarterback. They had, they had a third-string quarterback who had to come into play. They couldn't throw a football. He had thrown one pass in his career in the NFL. All they did was try to run the ball with Saquon Barkley, and they lost lost the game in overtime. It was really, really bad. So that's where we are in the top games of the weekend and, and the injury factor from the league around the league. There were four quarterbacks that got hurt yesterday. Major injuries. is terrible injury to Kirk Cousins. Uh, just a bunch of Achilles blew out in games yesterday. So that's where we are. So you explain to me, <laughs> Kansas City, explain to me your 49ers. Uh, give me your thoughts on the Chargers and Dabbers. Oh, well, first of all, it was a weird week. I mean, like, I don't know. Maybe the only dominant team in the NFL right now are the Eagles, you know, because everyone else is showing weaknesses because we thought Kansas City, San Francisco, Buffalo, even Miami, uh, Miami, you know, they're there. And even the Lions have kind of regressed a little bit, too, because they've been they get blown out last week, I think. So it's weird that. These teams are so Jekyll and Hyde-ish. And I, yeah, Brock Purdy didn't look the same. Maybe his head still rattled from that concussion. Um, but boy, yeah, Joe Burrow looked really good. It was like the old Joe Burrow. Yep. Um, but I, you know, tough break for um, uh, Kirk Cousins blowing out his Achilles. Makes you think of Aaron Rodgers and what he went through. But I, I just look at all these teams and it's like one week they're up and the next week they're down. I mean, like the Chargers is another great example. And Justin Herbert looked really good. He looked like the Justin Herbert we've all been wanting. But to your point, he's playing the Chicago Bears. I mean, who's coming up on the Charger schedule? Well, they they got to go play the Jets. Mm-hmm. All right, they got Buffalo still. They got another game with what will be an angry Kansas City team. There's Baltimore on the schedule, which is beating everybody up. So um, this there's no guarantee here. The Chargers were a playoff team. I was shocked. You know they're they're blowing these guys out. It's I think at one point it was thirty to seven, and Herbert was still in the game, and he took a wicked hit on a delayed blitz, and he got pancaked. He took a shot right to the chest and went backwards and hit his head. And I thought to myself, Brandon Staley, why is he still in the game in the fourth quarter when it's thirty to seven? Yeah, and, I mean he I thought he got hurt, and he he did get up, but. You could tell on his face he was in pain. His helmet was sideways. Really bad. And the NFL had a, a bad Sunday afternoon. We we talked a couple weeks ago on our Monday bonus podcast about Sunday NFL ticket, which had gone from direct TV to YouTube, oh, yeah, yeah. the subscriptions. They had some bug technically in the system. Nobody in the country could get Sunday NFL ticket games nor the red zone. Really, with, with the early games because of something that had gone wrong technically, it didn't get fixed till the third quarter of the early games. Oh wow! It's the first time it's ever happened. Uh, YouTube doesn't quite have an explanation of what happened. Well, they're paying so much money for that, you yeah. know. I mean, you need that to be bulletproof, and you know, guys betting on games, looking for their fantasy players. I mean, yeah, that's that's tough. You, want, you here? You were here? You turned on your subscription, mm-hmm. you would have got that buffering symbol oh, that yeah. went on <laughs> yeah. from 1 o'clock till probably 3.15 because the games did not finally pop up 
until third quarter of all the early games. Unbelievable. You think you'd be screaming? Yeah, yeah I guess yeah, you'd be screaming. Yeah, I think I would be, yeah. <laughs> so that that's where we are, the National Football League. We had some weird games and obviously what happened uh, to Sunday Direct Ticket on YouTube. We go from that, we get another NFL football story. Tuesday, big day. Yeah, trade deadline here. So the NFL has been a lot more active in the trade market these last few years. Well, as we talked maybe about a week ago, there's a new breed of general manager now in the National Football League. And a bunch of these guys are analytics. A bunch of these guys are Ivy Leaguers. You know, the NFL would never change your roster. This is the roster we have we're going to play. Well, within the last two years... We have had a lot more changes on rosters because new breed of general manager making trades. Making trades because I inherited this player. I don't think you can play. I'm going to move you. Uh, Making trades. I want you off my salary cap and off the books. Hmm. Uh, Making a trade. I don't know that I value high draft picks anymore, so I'll put them in the package to go get the player I want. So there's about 15 big names that are on the NFL trade block. We just had the first big deal The day before the deadline. Deadline is tomorrow, 1 p.m., Tuesday. uh, Trade deadline, West Coast time. The New York Giants traded Pro Bowl defensive tackle, defensive end Leonard Williams, big stud from USC, traded into the Seattle Seahawks. They included $8 million on the rest of the contract, cash, with Leonard Williams, and they got a second-round pick, and they got a fifth-round pick. Say one thing about Pete Carroll— and John Schneider, who runs the operation there in Seattle, they are fearless about pulling the trigger and making deals. This is a really big-time football player. He changes the whole persona of, of the Seattle defense because now they're going to be a bunch of warriors up front. they got good linebacking, and they got a ton of guys. The rebirth of the Legion of Doom in the secondary. This is a huge trade. It's the first big trade. Now, other guys that could be dealt by the Tuesday deadline. Chase Young, the defensive end, the former star at Ohio State. He's on the final year of his Washington contract. They did not pick up the option for the the additional year. He's been slow to recover from knee surgery. He's available. Maybe he just needs more time, but maybe Washington just wants to stockpile draft picks. Uh, There's another defensive end by the name of Sweat Montez who's there. One of those guys could be traded by the deadline. In Denver, Jerry Judy, the wide receiver of the Broncos, has been shopped. But maybe things have changed because Denver's now won two games in a row, which is kind of hard to believe. Hunter Renfro, very popular guy with the Raiders, route runner, tough guy. He's kind of been lost in the shuffle. He's just not part of what they're doing. Raiders are looking for a pass rusher. They might package him in a draft pick to try to go get another defensive end. Derek Barnett, the great vested veteran Philadelphia Eagles, is not playing. He's off the bench. He might be a short-term rental as a veteran. Carl Lawson of the Jets, defensive end, could be traded. And there was a lot of conversation that Derek Henry, the big heavy-duty running back, got over 8,200 yards in his career in Tennessee, might be traded but now Dallas has said, no, they're not in the running to go get a heavy-duty running back, although I think they they need one. The thing about Derrick Henry, although he's got a lot of miles on him, still pretty productive, the back end of this last year of his contract is only $5.8 million. There's a lot of clubs that could afford to bring him on. Maybe he makes the push and makes them a playoff contender because I still think he can tote the rock. And then you negotiate with him on a contract extension a year from now. <laughs> At a reasonable price. So trade deadline is coming up. It's going to be fascinating to see what transpires at the deadline. 
Um, I don't know what the Rams are going to do. You know, the Rams, with the, if Matthew Stafford's gone for an extended period, then the Rams season's effectively over. Do they move what few veterans are left out there to try to get more picks and just, just continue this? this rebuild. Chargers do not have a history of making any type of bold picks, but a player like a Leonard Williams inside a defensive tackle could have made a huge difference as a run stopper, but the Chargers historically under Tom Telesco, they don't trade draft picks to get veteran players. So that's where we are the eve of the NFL trading deadline. And John Riley says? Derek Henry would be an interesting guy to go to the LA Chargers. I mean, because they need like a power running back. I'll, even though Eckler had a really good game yeah, yesterday. Yeah, but they got Josh Kelly and and the, the Chargers don't have as much cap space. I don't... Well, plus they need more on defense anyway. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out. What about the Arizona Cardinals? I mean, th- th- that's a team that needs to make a trade to try to resurrect that. That well, they've they've loaded a bunch of draft picks. I mean, they are they're a miserable team right now. Kyler Murray is practicing. He's been taken off the PUP list. Whether or not he gets activated next week or the week after, but they're playing a backup, Josh Dobbs, who can't can't win games for them. So I would assume Murray is going to stay. They've indicated Kyler Murray is not on the trade block in Arizona, but he's got such a mega contract. I don't know, A, that they could afford the cap hit to move him, and B, who can take on that type of contract. So I think Kyler Murray is married to Arizona for at least another year. And if Arizona has a miserable season, then Arizona's got the decision when we get to the draft next spring. You're going to take Caleb Williams, USC. If you already got all this commitment to Kyler Murray, can you move Kyler Murray in a separate deal to get more draft picks after this season is over? So a lot of moving parts in Arizona, but we know one thing of all, they're not very good. <laughs> no, they're not. Uh, so, yeah, I'm curious to see what these teams do. Have there ever been any kind of just in your history with the NFL, just some crazy trades? I mean, I know the the one for Herschel Walker back in the day was nuts. Yeah, that was like 11 for one. <coughs> and it did worked out very well for the Dallas Cowboys. It kind of worked out marginally okay uh, for Minnesota. Uh, Eric Dickerson trade. A lot of people have forgotten that. Now that, that goes back eons. Mm-hmm. Marshall Falk got traded when he went from Indianapolis to the St. Louis Rams. Right. So those are three of the bigger modern-day mm-hmm. uh, NFL trades. But again, back in the day, I'd say up till 2015, Nobody made trades at the trade deadline. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, this next breed of leadership comes in, all these Ivy League general managers, and we'll find a way. We'll make the salary cap fit. We'll do it. Trade that guy. Move this guy. I don't want that guy. I want this guy over here. I mean, it's fascinating to see how the landscape has changed. Baseball trading deadline has always been spectacular from a fan standpoint. Yeah, The NHL has now become a huge thing. We had 43 trades at the NHL trade deadline last February. Wow. That's become a big thing. And now the NFL general managers are catching up to it too. So it's a different mind thought. Hey, we get to halftime. Our Monday bonus podcast is brought to you by Dixon Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. Let me tell you this. Holidays are just around the corner. You got plans for the new year, whether it's some type of construction inside or whether you want to do something just to make some repairs. Think Dixie Line Lumber. Get your fall and winter project savings at Dixie Line Lumber right now. They offer doors and windows and decking and kitchen, bath cabinets, countertops, and even 
holiday lighting products for Christmas. Check out the great monthly ad promotions at DixieLine.com, including a free Dixie Line golf cart valued up to $600 with the purchase of selected doors and windows. Fix it, build it, we guarantee you will enjoy it. These are really good people at Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center stores. And we go to the second half of our Monday bonus podcast. John, before we dive into college football, just remind everybody about how they subscribe. Go ahead, take that stick and poke that guy out there with that stick and get him to join us on Fans Forum. Mm-hmm. Tell him about subscribing and sharing. Yeah, a bunch of guys here in the list. Here we got Mike, Lewis, Daniel, Ed, SG Sports Talk, John, Emmanuel, Dennis, Molly, Neil. I mean, Jesus, loading up. So if you got some more questions or comments for Hacksaw, type in the Facebook or YouTube um, chat. We'll get you on. And then be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You know, we're on all the audio only platforms. Definitely subscribe on YouTube is releasing content all the time. Um, and be sure to like, follow, share, and subscribe across all social media. And give us a thumbs up because we need all the help we can get. Give us a five-star rating because that helps us a great deal. And if you like sports, I know you like sports. Check my website. It's all written. If you like the way we did Sports Talk Radio, you'll like my website. Just go to That's the address up top there, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. Dot com. We go from pro football. Let's talk college football. Yeah, SoCal college football. I mean, the Trojans, again, kind of a weird game, right? Here's the bur- nice nice headline. Here's the big story. Somebody <laughs> living on borrowed time. USC, I looked up, and they were down 14 early. USC had given up 153 yards rushing in the first two quarters of the game up at Cal against the Golden Bears. Trojans trailed 43-29 to a bad Golden Bears team. No defense, defense optional, defense not being played. And then they scored three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Caleb Williams wound up throwing for 369 passing. Trojan defense had four takeaways, but they gave up 527 yards in offense (laughs) to Cal. Those Golden Bears. And, And Link Riley... Just just in denial that this, you know, that doesn't talk about how bad it is. He was just so amped that his defense forced four takeaways, but geez, it gave up 527 yards. I think it's going to be fun to see USC play in the Holiday Bowl because they're going to lose some more games because they're not playing one iota of defense. And they got Oregon, they got Washington, and they still got UCLA on the schedule. So. <laughs> I think it'd be fun to see the Trojans come to Petco Park playing a holiday bowl. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay, so we got we got that to talk about. UCLA is just kind of weird the handling of the quarterbacks. I'll tell you and I when I watch games I'm I, I understand I'm wired differently. You knew that. <laughs> I watch games and I watch formations and I watch how they utilize their personnel. And Chip Kelly's just a mad scientist. I mean, what he does with motion, what he does with fakes, what he does creating mismatches, crossing patterns, pick plays, delayed handoffs. I mean, he's just a phenomenal offensive mind. I just don't quite understand. He starts Ethan uh, Garbers in the game this past weekend. He throws for 269. His defense goes out and just beats the hell out of Colorado's Shador Sanders. Uh, seven quarterback sacks, two interceptions. Defense is playing like UCLA's defense has not played in decades. Very impressive. 
but he's not developing the kid quarterback, Dante Moore. And I don't understand that because the only way that kid is going to get better is continued to take snaps, live fire action. And I know that, you know, Kelly was astounded that there were six interceptions in the last three starts that Dante Moore made. There were three pick sixes taken back for scores in consecutive games. But the only way he gets better is he's got to play. And I think they're gambling a little bit of fire because of the transfer portal. That kid is sitting there and he's not practicing with the number ones and he hasn't played three games in a row now. You might lose him. You know, he's from Detroit. I mean, I'm sorry. People tamper with people all the time. You mean to tell me there's not not a phone call coming from that area code from Michigan? Oh, yeah. You mean to tell me Michigan State, which is in utter chaos, wouldn't try to steal that kid and bring him back to the Big Ten? So Chip's, I think Chip's got to be really careful with this Dante Moore thing because this was the future, and he played really well his first couple of games. But like any 18- or 19-year-old freshman, it catches up to you. And defenses will figure out ways to slow you down and put you in situations that maybe you don't handle well. But I, I think he's got to play a lot so he'll stay there because it wouldn't shock me if, if he does not play this back half of the schedule that he could wind up somewhere else in the Big Ten because he's from Detroit. Yeah, interesting. Well, well, first of all, with SC, how in the hell do you give up over 40 points to Cal? I mean, I, I get it if you're playing Oregon, maybe, but not Cal. When has Cal been competitive in college football? It's been forever. I mean, well, Jared Goff was there for a year or two, right? This is Steve Bartkowski era. Oh, yeah, now you go back in the 70s. The other thing, the, U, the UCLA thing with Dante Moore, it sort of sounds familiar. Like, remember back in the early days of Drew Brees? playing for Marty Schottenheimer, and he was always fumbling and having interceptions. And finally, you know, Schottenheimer benched him. And I think, didn't he start Flutie for a while a little bit? Uh, Because he just had it with the turnover. So I wonder, is that what Chip Kelly's doing? Could well be, but it's a different era with the transfer portal. Drew Brees, he was back at Purdue. He started as a freshman, and he went through that growing pain syndrome. But they started him. Joe Tiller, who was a former coach at Wyoming, was a friend of mine, was the head coach at Purdue. He fast-forwarded Drew Brees by leaving him on the field, molding him, and letting him experience what he had to experience. And Purdue wasn't real good when Drew Brees was the starting quarterback, and then Drew Brees became a great quarterback in the National Football League. So I don't, we'll just have to wait and see what happens with this situation. Here we go from that. We had some controversy in college football, too, off the field. Yeah, you were talking a little bit about Shadur Sanders, but I saw that big hit replay by um, but the other Sanders, Shiloh, right? Right. And he and, led to the ejection. And, yeah, so we got some trouble there. Well, Colorado, it's all caught up to them. They've lost four of their last five. And, and I critiqued Coach Prime. You were out in left field and they were yelling at me, and I, I heard you in left field. <laughs> about the use of the transfer portal and running so many players off. They had the great start. Deion Sanders' arrival has been good for college football. He's he's developed and given a lot of young kids a chance to play, but it's kind of caught up to them. Now people have figured them out. My issue is their offensive line is abysmal. My issue is he's got a really good assistant coaching staff. A, a couple of guys came from the NFL. Those kids are prepared to play, and the systems are running are really, really cool, state-of-the-art. But they got a terrible offensive line. He's going to have to go back into the transfer portal, and he's probably going to move some players out. 
But they are just so bullheaded, obstinate. You're getting the quarterback killed, and you haven't changed your offense one iota since the first week of the season. You know, you can say, I don't have enough left tackles or left guards to protect this guy. Well, then you move tight ends over there. You load the offense to that side to help that guy. Shadur Sanders, he was in the hospital Saturday night. He's on painkillers, injections, because he's had so many hits and so many injuries. He's been sacked 42 times. Oh, my God. 42. People don't get sacked 42 times in their career. He's had it in seven games. And what I don't understand with Coach Prime, yeah, I understand tough guy aura, take these hits, it's part of the game. That's your quarterback. That's your son. And you are exposing him to a fierce beating every Saturday. And your assistant coaches, who are pretty smart dudes, won't adjust and change the system to help protect that quarterback. I just don't understand that. And you got this mess in Michigan. NCAA showed up on that campus on Friday, and they were there Saturday. They're interviewing the football coaches in the program. This spying thing has kind of exploded. Now we find out that a staffer who has since been fired scouted 35 different Big Ten games, bought tickets in the stands, videoed. Videoed the game, videoed the coaching staffs for the signs they're given. Mm -hmm. That's pretty sleazy. And Harbaugh didn't know anything about this. Assistant coaches didn't know anything about this. And you got this sign-stealing scandal right on the heels of the probe that's still going on about illegal recruiting during the COVID blackout period. Is this the hamburger thing again? Jim Harbaugh's got a real (laughs) problem on his hands here. Yeah. And in fact, today, the story out of Ann Arbor is that Michigan— has tabled a contract upgrade that Harbaugh was supposed to get beginning next year that would have taken him to $11 million a year. They've tabled it. You know, Harbaugh can say, I had no knowledge. Well, somebody within had knowledge because they allowed this to happen. I got to believe that there's going to be something really bad happen at the end of the season. Now, NCAA's got a problem here. Michigan, elite, might be the best team in the country, might even be better than Georgia. You're not going to fire Harbaugh now, are you? Or are you going to stretch this thing out till the playoffs are over? But I think Harbaugh's in big trouble because he's the CEO. You should know what's going on in your offices with your assistant coaches and that staffer. And I have a hard time understanding how he could not have any knowledge of sign stealing and not have any knowledge about violations during the COVID blackout period in 2020, when everybody else in the world shut down, they were not allowed to interact for, I think it was for 43 days with any potential recruits, and yet Michigan was doing that. So I know Harbaugh's got some problems. Okay, you're out in left field. Your thoughts on the Michigan man, your thoughts on Coach Prime. Well, it reminds me of your former colleague, Jim Rome. He used to say, if you aren't cheating, you ain't trying, right? <laughs> so makes me wonder that. But I've seen all these rumors about Harbaugh, Going to the Chargers. I mean, is that real? No, I don't think so. But Harbaugh's name has been floated out there, and he has talked to NFL teams within the last two off seasons. 
Mm-hmm. And there's no doubt that he's a hot commodity again, just like he was at Stanford, just like he was when he came out of USD. But we're we're dealing not with his potential future employer. We're dealing with his operation of the U of M football program and what he knows, what he should know, what he didn't know, what's going on there. Because that, to me, is really serious stuff. Yeah, it is. But but I think that that hamburger thing during the, the COVID blackout, remember he like bought a kid a lunch and that was a recruiting violation. I mean, that was pretty ticky tack. But, you know, with this... With all the NIL stuff going on, I mean, there's going to be a lot more aggressive recruiting, mm-hmm. you know. So, again, I think, you know, you've talked about how they need a set of rules around the NIL. And that the recruiting probably needs to be opened up a little bit, right? Because they're pretty hardcore on when you can talk and when you can't talk to these players. But, as witnessed, Michigan's men were talking to recruits during that 43-day blackout period. Mm-hmm. Nobody else in the country was doing it. So that's a big issue. Your thoughts on Coach Prime, the quarterback, and his son? Yeah, that's something. Um, well, f- first of all, I remember Prime saying to a lot of these other teams and fan bases, say, saying, hey, you might be able to beat us this year, but we're just getting started, you know? And that, and I think he's right. I think year two and three, they're going to have way better recruits. And if they can keep that coaching staff together, terrific. But it is amazing that they're just letting Shador sort of, you know, run for his life back there. You think that they would make the adjustment if these were like really top tier NFL type coaches. Maybe it just goes back to the point. They just, they don't have the roster. So any But movement, you change your system if you don't have a roster to help that quarterback by right. putting a tight end over there or put maybe you'd have to give up one of your school players but put an extra lineman there mm-hmm. but they're not doing that and then a kid is taking such wicked shots he's still a heisman candidate probably not anymore no yeah no he's lucky he's not in the hospital full time so yeah i i just don't understand it and it's his kid it, you know it's his quarterback but it's his son that's just getting battered mm. and just wicked wicked stuff Okay, so we go from that to two more names in the news. I guess we have to talk about all this bad stuff. This is amazing what's developed. Every time we bring up a Trevor Bauer in one of these segments, the fans light up on social media. And you got guys that hate Trevor Bauer, and you have other guys that that think he's getting a raw deal on this whole thing. Trevor Bauer just completed an all-star season with the Yokohama Bay Stars in Japan. He is a free agent. He was on a one-year deal. Trevor Bauer says he wants to come back to Major League Baseball, negotiate a free agent contract. Whether anybody is going to touch this toxic talent remains to be seen. Bauer, about 10 days ago, settled out of court all the legal issues with the woman who had rough sex with him that led to his suspension for 194 games for, quote, sexual misconduct, which led for him to go into Japan. Trevor Bauer released videos that he had with this woman. He named the woman, which normally the media will not cover, but it has now gone public. Her name is Lindsay Hill. She worked for the Padres. She's a baseball fan. She is the daughter of the former head coach at USD, Rich Hill. Oh, wow. So he released that. He also released all the texts that they got during the lawsuit discovery Mm -hmm. included text from this woman that indicated, I'm going to ask him to choke me out. Nice quote. (laughs) I'm searching my next victim. 
I want to stake claim to his $51 million. All that destroyed her case in court. Bauer had filed a defamation suit against her, kind of a cross-countersuit. All settled out of court. She didn't get any money from Trevor Bauer. She got some money from an insurance policy. But because it's all out in public now, he says, I've never been charged. I served my 194-game sentence. I lost all that money, some $37 million money. I went to Japan. I'm coming back. I'm ready to sign a free agent contract. I don't know whether anybody's going to touch him. Toxic talent. So he got the Trevor Bauer thing, which is now full out there in front of everybody to see. And then you get Ja Morant. Memphis is off to a lousy start because a superstar guard suspended for 25 more games. The aftermath of multiple incidents, he, guns, posse, etc. ESPN does this in-depth report on uh, the Memphis Grizzlies star. <coughs> Talking about his out-of-control lifestyle. Running with an entourage. They accuse his father of being his enabler. Saying that the father ran the streets with John ja Morant on road trips. <laughs> Morant would bring a whole entourage of family members and posse, and they would party when the Grizzlies are on these road trips. I mean, they went, they went to strip clubs. They went to really seedy bars. They were out all hours of the night. He missed practices. He showed up hungover. The Grizzly people anonymously said, there was never, ever any red flag stuff involving this guy. When they scouted him, he played one year at Murray State. Never red flag. He got to the NBA and the money changed his life. And then all of a sudden there was the bling and the bad dudes with rap sheets. And his father was his enabler. They brought him in. They sat him down. He just refused to listen, pay any attention to what the Memphis front office had to say about what he was doing. He got criticized by his captain, Steve Adams, the big center, who said, when you're on the road, you need to be thinking basketball, getting ready to win games away from home, not being out partying all hours of the day, coming and going. And the NBA people say they met. he met twice with Adam Silver, and they gave up on him just because he would not listen. So there were no red flags when he got scouted, got to the NBA. Everything changed. There were red flags with him everywhere. Nobody knows whether John Morant is, is, is going to heal all the damage he did to his reputation and his career. He's lost all of his endorsements, including cancellation from Puma. And whether or not Memphis even wants him on the team, the players want him on the team. One of their new guys that they acquired, Marcus Smart, who came from Boston, mm -hmm. veteran leader, said... This locker room is not going to babysit this guy. So there's a story there about what's happened and what was allowed to happen, and who knows what's going to happen down the road. So there you are. You're out in left field. Tell us about Trevor Bauer. <laughs> Give us a, your opinion on John Morant. Well, for John Morant, you kind of wonder, is it just like this obstinate, like you can't effing tell me what I need to do with my life? You are effing correct in that statement. Y yeah. Yes. And, and meanwhile, his dad is part of the posse, so his dad isn't giving him good advice either. So that whole thing is just a cluster. Um Hopefully Memphis can figure out a way to save this guy. He's such a talent. You know, you'd hate to lose him. But but the Trevor Bauer situation is really interesting because, you know, 
dude is wacky. He's had a lot of incidents in his life that I do not condone at all. But in this situation, it seems like he was legitimately screwed over, that he was targeted by this woman. And she kind of admitted it to her friends in those texts that she was going to do this and do that and kind of put her claws into Trevor Bauer. And I mean, that's just, that's a load of BS. So when Bauer got his name cleared. Now he's putting her name out there. I mean, you can't really blame him for doing that. You know, it's almost like what happened to Matt Ariza. You know, he's coming and countersuing the woman that accused, that falsely accused him. I don't know where it's going to go. Uh, I mean, Bauer's sexual proclivities, I think, stained Major League Baseball. I think it impacted the Dodgers. And I think baseball had a right just because of the way he was conducting his life off the field. We don't accept that morality clause, I guess. But he did serve a sentence. He paid the price. But he, he paid a price for something that he didn't do. Well, rough sex, way well, over the line. But that's not normal. Well, you know, it's, a, well, it's whatever your interpretation of rough sex is. I mean, that can vary by the individual. But if she was... You know, saying, you know, to her friends, hey, I'm going to find my way to get in here with Trevor Bauer. You know, it's just Bauer was getting played in this, you know, because he's an easy target. Um, So, I, I, you know, it's funny how when more information comes out, you know, your perspective changes a little here. We shall see if anybody takes a run. He's a free agent. The last night of the World Series. Anybody can negotiate with anybody. We'll see if somebody wants to take a run at Trevor Bauer. Ready, set, Go. <laughs> Our Monday bonus podcast is brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Stores, nine locations to serve you across San Diego. You got projects, you want them as your teammate. Here comes fans form. John's got people stacked up out in the driveway here, uh, waiting to get through. They're in left field too with some of their opinions. John, you'd start them. Well, this is a great one. This is from Neil, and he says Saw needs to show up to Seven Mile Casino on Sunday with Scott Kaplan for the Great Friends Hangout. Now we ought to get Seven Miles <laughs> Casino to be one of our corporate sponsors. We're working on that too. Uh, Cap's done a nice job with what he's doing. We're doing unbelievable things from a number standpoint with what we do on live stream, what we do on Instagram, TikTok, and every other social media platform that John has dragged me into. Yeah, I, I think it's great. You know, having these hangouts with fans, I know maybe that might be something we can cook up in the future. Well, we'll, we'll talk about something unique and different. We're working on a number of different projects. Okay, here, let's go to SG Sports Talk Channel. He said, I would love for Juan Soto to sign with the New York Yankees to team up with superstars such as Aaron Judge and Anthony Rizzo and Giancarlo Stanton and others. Well, remember, he's not a free agent. Now, the Yankees could trade for him, and the Yankees do have a group of young guys. I was told that the Padres really liked the outfield of Jason Dominguez, though he got hurt at the end of the season and and needed surgery. But, uh, you know, somebody, I I guess you're telling me, Sports Talk Channel, that you're willing to trade Soto right now because that's the only way he would get to the Yankees. Yeah, I mean, that's the only way. But imagine, yeah, the Yankees now have the, their own Fab Four, right? And is that going to implode on them? I mean, it's 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 not really the formula that works, right? Well, according to the general manager from left field, 
We're going to start the season with Soto and see if Soto can help deliver this team back into postseason play. And then you worry about free agency when you get to free agency a year from tonight. Next question. Okay, well, the fans are all talking about this Juan Soto deal. John says, get what you can from the Cubs or Yankees. If the Padres can get two or three prospects, that's a plus. Otherwise, you risk a diminished return or none at all. Boris is hell-bent on free agency. He's going to take his guys to the, the front of the line. He always historically has done that. I I joked uh, about a week ago that when the Padres made that six-for-one trade with Washington, they traded not only for Soto, they traded for Scott Boris. They knew that. They had to know that. They And then Soto had a phenomenal final two-thirds of the season after failing miserably last season and the first third of this season. Um you know, part of me says this team will bounce back. There's too many good players here. All had substandard stats this past summer. Too many good players not to be good next year. But you don't know about the health of the pitching staff. And like I said, if you trade Soto and you're going to lose those two frontline pitchers, the starter and the guy in the bullpen, you surely you, you're not going to have the same baseball team. You're going to have half a half a roster. Yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 we don't even know who the manager is going to be either. So a lot of question marks for the Padres. Okay, let's go uh, down here to um, yeah to Daniel. He says, how did the Giants already announce Melvin's hire? I guess they did it in the middle of the World Series, right? No, they did it before the series started. Oh, so in between. The- you can do it in between series. Okay. And because that had been rumored to be out there for a whole week or so before this thing started. So I don't think they violated any rules. Baseball just let them go ahead and do it. Okay. Uh, Mike Reed says, fire Preller. Well, there's a bunch of people that no longer think he's a rock star general manager. He's got to prove <laughs> He's got to prove that he can fix the mess that he created. And I'd never say never because he's always done creative things. I do agree with his philosophy. Boots on the ground everywhere. He's got scouts everywhere evaluating players, you know. And whether it's an established star like Hassan Kim or whether it's a rental like Nick Martinez, they have done a good job. He's also made a bunch of mistakes. He's also overspent what was a blank check budget that the owner gave him. But uh, it'll be fascinating to see what, what he does. What What is his decision on Soto? Is there any hope at all on Snell and Hader if those guys leave? How are you going to replace them? If you trade Soto, then you're going to have significant budget space mm-hmm. to go get other guys. And But then are you going to overpay to go get those other guys to come in here? And then you create another set of problems for you. Fascinating winter ahead of us. Well, who do you like more, Preller or Kim Ng as a GM? Oh, I like Preller because I think he's just bold. I think he knows baseball. Uh, you know, Kim Kim did a good job in terms of it, working with a very constricted budget in Miami, helping develop and keep farm system players, and then at the trade deadline, making deals to go get bats. And of course, last winter she got the the three fifty four hitting Luis Arias from Minnesota, which was a hell of a trade. So I, I think she did a good job. I think this ended up really, really badly, and they got an owner there that's a crackpot in Bruce Sherman. So. <laughs> well, we're going to find out more. This offseason is going to be critical for the Padres. Here's a comment from Ed. He says, how in the world does USC not at least have a decent defense with, uh, with, um, with their recruiting power? Oh, that, that, that's a tremendous question. Um, 
maybe it's harder to go get defensive players in the transfer portal because maybe there's not that many of them because offenses in college football are so great. But Lincoln Riley has obviously got a deficiency because he did not have good off defenses at Oklahoma. He had great offenses. He's got great quarterback and an explosive offense at Southern Cal. But Heritage Hall, they don't have anybody walk through the hallways. It's a superstar defensive player. There's... You know, there's no Ronnie Lotz coming out of USC these days. It's or, a, or Junior Seas. Yeah, it's a big, big issue. Has it hurt his credibility? Yeah. If they don't if they don't get to a significant bowl game and have success second year in a row, he's got a problem. <laughs> well, speaking of bowl games for USC, this is from Manny. He says, ha, I was right on October 16th. USC departing gift from the Pac-12 would be the Holiday Bowl or the Sun Bowl. USC fans won't be happy about that. Yeah, they're grumbling. They are really barking right now. And as I told John, they still got to play Oregon, Washington, and UCLA. I mean, if you're freaked out that Cal had, what was it, 527 yards against him? <laughs> Can you imagine what's going to happen when they play the Ducks, the Huskies, Michael Penix, uh, or obviously what UCLA is going to do? So they may have a few more losses on their tab before we get to the end of the season. Yeah, it kind of makes you wonder, is SC going to win another game? Is Colorado going to win another game? I guess I'll ask this, and maybe next Thursday when we come back on, somebody else can jump on fans' form. Holiday Bowl. Would you rather have the Trojans and Caleb Williams come here, or would you rather have Coach Prime in Colorado? Oh, give me Coach Prime, baby. Yeah, I'm all in. Just don't bring the Bruins here. Okay, move on. Okay, let's move on. i got a comment here from Eric, and he says, Come on, Hacksaw, let's talk about the beating Man City put on United. Manchester is blue. Uh, Manchester United is not what they were before. I mean, when you you think 500 record, Man U, Red Devils, this middle of the season, wow. And Manchester City, is they're beating everybody. And I guess the shocker to me is, is they went to Norway and they got Erling Holland. And he has just scored a ton of goals in a year and a half since he put on the city colors. Manchester City is a really, really good program. Arsenal has bounced back in the English Premier League. Uh, Liverpool's got goal scoring now that they did not have a year ago this time. And Man U is just, is just not what Manchester United was before. This this is the greatest part about Fans Forum because you can get any sports question and you've got to take. You've got you know what the hell's going on and it's incredible. We'll You're talk. right. I am bleeping brilliant. I, <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for that. Okay, let's uh, let's get in some of our social media uh, folks here and let's see who do we got. Let's go here. This is a good one. Talk about the World Series from Anthony. He says, "Come on, Lee. I remember you from Phoenix days on KTAR. Give the D backs some love and just say." I'm pulling for the home team. I was very impressed. And John had to bark at me and convince me because I thought the minute they got into postseason, this pitching staff would get overwhelmed. Uh, and it has not happened. They've, I mean, I, I I knew that Zach Gallon was a warrior. I did not think Merrill Kelly was anything more than just a guy. And he's been so impressive in his postseason start. So we'll see what happens now in games three and four, because now you get to the back end of the rotation and maybe then it becomes bullpen days. And I don't know that those things are real good. But the thing, the chemistry of Arizona is so impressive to me. They got so many different guys who can put the ball in play and suddenly they're manufacturing runs, whether it's station to station or they're driving balls into the gap. Texas hangs around, hangs around, which for somebody to hit a home run, and they do hit a lot of home runs. That's that's a that's a five hundred thirteen million dollar free agent investment that they made over the last two calendar years. So 
Arizona's done it through the farm system. Texas has done it through free agency. I think it's I think it's been a fun playoff series and so many upsets. I think equally important, Anthony, is a conversation. Who's not here? That's that's as impressive an array of stories as to who failed to get to the World Series compared to who is in the World Series. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty interesting. This this kid, Fat, the, I think he's going to pitch game three for the yeah, Diamondbacks. Yeah, he's got a 2.70 ERA in postseason. Yeah, he's Brandon pretty good. Fat. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I remember for, for you know, the last few years, people always talking about Torrey Lovello and how what a great manager he was or is. But his team was never that good. I guess we're are we seeing the Tory Lavelle everyone talked about? Yeah, I think there's there's a real esprit de corps within that clubhouse, and I give Mike Hazen, the general manager, credit. He came from the Red Sox, and he had a lot of patience, and he stuck with that manager because they had a blueprint that said this is going to be painful. My God, they won, they lost what 110 games a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, and they just they force fed all those kids. They stayed free of injuries, which has helped, but. Corbin Carroll, Cattell Marte, those are really good baseball players. Yeah, they really are. I mean, it's an impressive team. And, and Tommy Pham, man, is in the mix. So I love that. This 15-minute quadrant brought to you by Tommy Pham. Now, <laughs> yeah. we don't know what's going to happen in games four, five, and six with Tommy Pham, but we move on. Okay, let's get another MLB question. And this is from Doug, and he says, Baseball is losing its following, and I believe this is why. Work your ass off all year and let a mediocre team 15 to 22 games out last year with the Padres in the latter case, and we get three out of five set um, set that helps uh, these teams advance. It's not the coaches. It's the owners. Like so much that has gone on in America, our pastime has been stolen from us by greedy corporations and teams that are regulated by corporate mentality. It is not about the coaches. It's about the game and its rapid descent. Why can't you see this? Here's the issue. And I maintain 162-game schedules too much. Take it back to the number that worked before when it was 154. Include more off days during the regular season. Start your playoffs a little bit early. Now, I don't know if there's a solution because wild card baseball has obviously been put into place as a marketing tool to make the end of the season really important. And you have a team that hasn't won, that has a decent season and forges its way into the wild card. Give you an example, Cincinnati, the big red machine was a long time ago. Here the Reds are in first place and they hung around, hung around, just missed out right at the end, ran out of gas, didn't make a trade to get a pitcher at the deadline. But I'll tell you, the fan support in Cincinnati and enthusiasm for Major League Baseball in some of these other cities was really spectacular. So the wild card to me works because it creates phenomenal interest in the final month of the season. The games are really important. Now, then we got into the one-game playoffs. And he thought, man, that's great theater, John. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, people are barking. I played 162 games, and I got knocked out in a one-game one series. That's not fair. So baseball said, okay. And they worked with the union on this. Let's go to a best-of-three. But so you go to a best of three, marketing, I do agree with you. It is about the bank. It is about dollars. Best of three pushes the top teams to a bi-week situation. They're off for five days. So now they're screeching, we lost our edge. The Dodgers <laughs> in Atlanta, whatever. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> yeah. So, you you know, I don't know where the middle ground is to make it, make it right for everybody. I mean, there's no doubt that... A, that if Atlanta was in this World Series or if the Dodgers had not failed <laughs> and they were in the World Series 
Maybe it'd be a better series. I don't know that there's a perfect solution. I know that Rob Manfred said in the World Series press conference on Friday uh, that his opinion was, we've done a lot of creative stuff, including the rule changes. Baseball has had a huge surge in attendance. Our TV ratings are up. We've changed the structure of the postseason. We tend to think that we got this right. Let's give it time to grow and see how it is. Now, Tony Clark, the adversary on behalf of the union, said, I'm not sure I agree with everything that you've done. But at the end of the day, the proof is in the pudding. Games are better. Games are faster. Fans like it. TV ratings have really taken a jump up. And this is must-see TV to see these wild-card games and who survived and who got knocked out. I don't know if there's a perfect formula, how to jury-rig the schedule so you don't have upsets. You still got to play it on the field, got to play the game. I mean, that's the end of my symposium on baseball. I, I think it's in a better place now than it was before. I'd like to see it go to 154. Well, Doug says MLB's losing its following, following and that's just wrong. <laughs> That's not true. Like you said, ratings are up, attendance is up, revenue is up. This is a renaissance of baseball that we're experiencing. But think about this in the NFL. Have you ever heard of a the the team with the one or two seed in the playoffs say, well, I don't know, we got that bye week, we might lose our edge. You know, they, they value that, you know, as yeah. a chance to... So many people beat up. Exactly. They can get healthy. They can kind of reorganize. You know, in the case of baseball teams, you can get your number one in the number one spot. Lined up. You, you line them up. Exactly. So I think this is just whining, whining fans that are playing for entitled teams like the Astros and the Dodgers that think they own the world and they get knocked out. Well, you know, that's the way the game goes, right? They're going to stay with the format they have for probably a couple more years. Maybe they'll re-examine it. But how many times can you tweak it? You don't want to bastardize the whole postseason just because fan in San Diego is not happy with the structure. I I think baseball's headed in the right direction. How about a couple more here? Okay, let's get this NHL comment in. And this is this is actually interesting. This is from a video clip we did almost a year ago. And Joe, Joe Bird says, hey, Quebec needs a team again. I would love to see the Coyotes move to Quebec. Well, the NFL, I should say the NHL, is all about market size. And that's why they have been so strong in their support of the Coyotes to be, get a new arena built. Franchise hasn't been good for a chunk of time, you know, since it moved from Winnipeg. Uh, there's so many people that live in the Valley of the Sun. They're of the opinion if they can get this new arena built, now they're looking at one over in Scottsdale after the Tempe thing failed, that they think that these fans are going to pour in because the NHL's become a hot ticket in a lot of different markets in the country. The league has not shown any inclination to yank the Coyotes out. Now you got Houston, which is a mega market. You got Atlanta, which has had the Thrashers and the Flames before that and failed, but Atlanta's a different market now. Quebec City is there. I think it's got great heritage. The rivalry, Quebec, the old Nordique, Montreal Canadiens, Toronto <coughs> would be spectacular. There's there's the disparity in the US and Canadian dollar, which is a big issue. But <coughs> excuse me, I I just think that Quebec has become such a vibrant economical market now with a new Olympic arena that they built with the hope they'd get a franchise. Maybe the NHL, instead of moving the Coyotes, if they think the Yotes can solve this, just expands. 
Mm-hmm. And they, they'll put a franchise in Quebec. I would like to see a franchise go back into Houston because that's such a burgeoning market. It's a different market now. Atlanta had their chance. I don't think I'd go there. Salt Lake City to me is is too far-fetched. So maybe expansion's the way to go. What, do you think the NHL can ever come to San Diego? I don't I don't think there'd be a need for it because you got the Ducks in Anaheim, you got the Kings in LA. San Diego is a much smaller market at 3.5 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a different topic for a different time. When we have a different arena built, then that's not going to happen by next Monday. Yeah, not no, not at all. Okay. So, let's can we get one more in? One more. Go ahead. One more. All right. Let's uh let's talk a little Chargers here. And this is from Sergio. He says, Lifelong Chargers fan here. I'm only twenty six, but I became a fan because of LT and Marty, especially during the two thousand six run where the Bolts were so dominant. It was great. I'm done with Staley. I still had faith in him in the beginning of the year. I thought he would learn something from that Jaguars game, but I I see regression. Give me Michigan's coach. We're moving to a brand new facility next year. We need a new culture because this one is stale. Well, Staley's run out of explanations, hyphen excuses. I think he's run out of fan support. They still got some really tough games to play, including a bunch on the road. Got to stay healthy. Everybody's got to stay healthy. You know, the catastrophe of all the quarterbacks that went down this past weekend, I mean, that that impales the league and its ability of teams to have success. Um, I just don't know historically that they're going to fire Staley after three seasons. But they they got a they got an uphill road to run just because they're in the AFC and there's a lot of good teams fighting for wild card spots and they already got themselves into a hole with a three and four record and they still got to play Buffalo and they still got to play Baltimore and they still got to play Kansas City again and they got the East Coast road trip to a Jets team that thinks all of a sudden they're pretty good so um, we'll we'll see if if they wind up sub five hundred there'll be a lot of heat on Staley. But I still think as long as Justin Herbert is standing with the school guys that they've put around, I think they can outscore a lot of people. Well, last um, week you were saying it was a big weekend for Chargers and the Raiders coaches because they couldn't afford another loss. Now, Staley won convincingly. You yeah, know, the but Char- the Bears. The Bears. But the, the Raiders looked awful. I mean, you know, Josh McDaniel's still in the hot seat too, right? Yeah, and they played Detroit Monday night football. You think the Lions could punch him in the mouth? Yeah, yeah. I think so. And I think. Is, I, you know, I, think, I think McDaniel's in more trouble than Staley is right now. But that whole organization's dysfunctional and the constant churn of, of players and the blown draft picks and the fallout from the Gruden era and Mark Davis, a.k.a. idiot, owner. There's um, <laughs> not, not a lot of accomplishment in the Raider Nation. Hey, listen, we hope you've enjoyed. I think we just set a record for the length. I hope you've enjoyed our Monday bonus podcast. We're brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. You got projects. Take a drive over nine locations. Take a walk through Dixie Line. See what they've got to offer. They should be your next best friend when it times to come uh, comes time for fall projects including ones around the holiday. John, have yourself a great Monday night. We'll talk to you come Thursday. Halloween plans? What do you got going? Trick or treat. There'll be a bunch of candy out by the front door. (laughs) What I don't eat, we'll give to the kids. There you go. Good job. Hey, have yourself a great Monday. Thanks for being with us on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.